Hey everybody, John here and welcome back to this episode of The Wealth of Self. Tonight we're talking to Mr. Phil Green. This is somebody who I'm honored to call a good friend and also someone I've gotten a lot closer to over the last year and a half. The fascinating thing about Phil is that every time I've talked to him, I've learned about a new job that he had, a new life experience, or a new place he lived. It seems like he is an endless book of new experiences, and I'm excited to discuss this on The Wealth of Self because at the root of what we're trying to do here is to identify that we all have different life experiences, right? But there's a thread of similarity that connects us. And listening to the diversity of what Phil has experienced in his life, I think this episode will hold something special for anyone and everyone out there tuning in tonight. So without further ado, let's kick this conversation off and introduce you to Mr. Phil Green. Phil, thank you so much for coming in. I've wanted to do this for a long time, and I know I've sent you countless WhatsApp messages and texts and everything in between about coming up and doing this, but um, I've really appreciated having the opportunity to get closer with you over the course of my two years here, and um, I'm, I'm excited to get to know more about you in this conversation, because I feel like every time we talk, there's another detail or something else that you've done where I'm like, wait a second. Like even before we started recording, I was like, oh, okay. Phil was involved in, you know, you know, preaching as a reverend, all these different things that I had no idea about. And I've like known you close to a year and a half to uh, two years now. So, uh, tell me a little bit about Phil Green. Well, there's a lot to know about Phil Green, but however, if there's any particular accolades or any characteristic things that goes along with the persona of who I am, you know, all I can say is it's a lot that makes up me as a whole. Yeah. Uh, it's from starting off as a young man, you know, coming of age, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the workforce, driving a taxi cab to, mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, ended up being working in a, one of the top laboratories in the United States, Abbott Laboratories. So mm-hmm. from driving a cab to Abbott Laboratories, I didn't work every kind of job you can imagine. Yeah. So it's a whole lot. And it sounds great. like that, that diversity in what you've done has allowed you the flexibility to continue to pursue new things. And, um, you know, I think we can go into that even more on the story about the laboratory, how you had this top scientist essentially saying, like, I don't know if I could do anything else. Right. He kind of knew that that one role and to go outside of those boundaries was scary or even uncomfortable for him. So Well, once he had said it and it set in later on that all the things that I've accomplished and done in my life when mm-hmm. I even uh, my my journey into the laboratory field how I had to take the state exam. Mm-hmm. It's a four-hour state exam test. 
of course, studying for it, being in school. And, and once I took the tests, I was the second one finished. And I was so afraid. It's like, maybe I missed something. So I went back over yeah. and still was finished before everybody else. And so I passed, you know, the American accreditation for laboratory animal technician. Whoa, wow. And there I went. Yeah. And so that, that really helped me to know that I can accomplish. Mm-hmm. I can do as since I used to be a preacher, as it says, I can do all things. And I have done pretty much as far as the work. Yes. Work. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done so much. A uh, lot. Like I said, from taxi cab to having a martial arts school to teaching police how to fight. And I helped train uh, Ronaldo Snipes when he fought Larry Holmes. I oh my did so, so much. So yeah. I can't even, I can go on and on, but yeah. right now I just can't recall right. all the things I've done. You can get I th- almost like lost in life's journey sometimes with everything that you have That's done. That's the key word, journey. Yes. It was a journey. And, and, and looking back, it's like, what a journey. You know, I have no regrets whatsoever mm-hmm. because it brought me to the happy medium of knowing who I am. And yeah. so the persona that I've learned to grow to know is now I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Boy. that's been a big, I think that's a phrase that you've really, you've really pioneered that and, and you've impressed upon it, its importance upon me. Um, but when it comes to your story, I think, one of the things that I like to do whenever a guest comes in is try and get the whole picture by going backwards. Wow. And so trying to learn a little bit about your origin. Can you tell me more about growing up as a young boy, family structure and those sorts of things for you? Well, put it plain and simple, not to bore you, poor. Mississippi bred, young Mm -hmm. boy, bath-footed, country boy. Yes, sir. What about mom and dad, brothers, sisters? What, what did the makeup dad, look like? Uh, four brothers. Yeah. No sisters. Mm-hmm. I'm the middle child. So, uh, like I said, coming up from Mississippi. Yeah. From Mississippi, we moved to Michigan, from Michigan to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Stayed in Chicago over 30, 40 years and mm-hmm. uh, moved here in D.C. area, the DMV, in 2003. So, I've been here since 2003. Yeah. So those uh, different places. Yeah. What initiated some of those early moves? We talk about going from Mississippi all the way to Michigan. I mean, you're cutting the United States right in half all yes, the yes, way up yes. north. Well, my, my, my mom, mom had a brother who lived in uh, Michigan and family members in Michigan. So okay. from Mississippi to Michigan for a couple of years and then from Michigan to Chicago mm-hmm. where we ended up for a while. Yeah. Growing up high school, uh, they went into the military, the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Honorable discharge, yes. Yeah. Early adolescence, whenever you think about growing up in Mississippi, um, what, what did that look like for you? When, he, when you reflect on some of those experiences, I, I think often about my hometown, small southern Missouri little town, and, and where I'm at now in D.C. I mean, the differences between then and now are, are, are pretty drastic. And I know I'm, I've, I've more places to experience, and I'm excited for that journey. Mm-hmm. But when you think back about those formative years, you, you know, what were, were some of the qualities that were instilled in you at that time? Well, back, we back that time. Yes. <laughs> in, in the country, uh, in Mississippi, not just Mississippi to be exact, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't really 
something I really reflect on and, and can say I've learned or had mm-hmm. things instilled in me at that young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the Mississippi journey was short-lived in a sense of uh, we lived there, we grew up, and I think I, we left, well, I was a young boy. I was mm-hmm. maybe three years old at the time when I left Mississippi for good. So Yeah, very, very young. Very young, very yeah. young. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't nothing too memorable to reflect on mm-hmm. to say, I learned this and I learned that and this was instilled in, no, yeah, uh, yeah. not at that young age. So that came kind of in that next phase. And then throughout that next phase in, in Michigan, you said, right? Yes. That was at what, what kind of period or range of years were you sort of growing up in that part of the, part well, of the country? Well, uh, it was still preteen, mm-hmm. still preteen uh, in Michigan. It was only two and a half years or so that we stayed in Michigan. Okay, so pretty uh, brief. Ypsilanti, Michigan. And so uh, all of what I remember as far as the Michigan uh, journey is is going to school, mm-hmm. walking like maybe two miles to get to school. We walked through a watermelon patch, walked through a tomato patch. We would always just grab a tomato, <laughs> eat it like it was an apple. little snack on the way. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so those are the memories I have of that journey. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of moving from that phase into Chicago. Chicago. And that even for, I mean, a long time, Chicago has been one of America's grandest, most major cities. So is there kind of like a shift in your perception of, you know, your worldview or seeing more people, more diversity in the people around you? What, what did that look like for you? Well, it wasn't to that extent. Sorry to say it was kind of, uh, wow. It was. I came up in Chicago in the area of the gangs, mm-hmm. gang infested Chicago. Really? When the gangs were pretty much, I guess, formulating mm-hmm. and had, you know, uh, situated themselves as a stronghold throughout Chicago, the Blackstones, the Disciples and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And, and uh, so uh, going to school, you know, halfway being afraid that, uh, you know, you, you need to be initiated in and not. Mm-hmm. going along with that program and, and have to fight your way to school, yeah. in school, and out of school on your way home. It was a constant battle. Almost. Oh, yes, it was. and uh, you know, But we persevered, yeah. my brothers and I, and we would always stick together. And so uh, it was a time that that, that didn't work mm-hmm. because it was five of us walking down the street, and that looks like a gang to others. Mm-hmm. And so, But we stuck together no matter what. Yeah. So that was a trial and a big journey. Well, that was one of the things a, a previous guest, Josh, a good friend of mine, he, he talked about his family structure because as a young boy, he grew up in Mongolia. Mm. And then uh, because of his dad's shift in job, ended up moving to Russia, into Moscow. Mm-hmm. And so he's, you know, an Asian boy in a largely different society at this point and having to face a lot of discrimination and racism of his own in that space Mm -hmm. and uh you know one of the things that he mentioned was that it was his brothers and him against the school pretty much it was like that was their their tight-knit cohort yes that ensured that you know they had each other's backs no matter what was going on so when it comes to your brother's structure are you one of the younger brothers an older brother what did that well i'm I'm the middle there's two under and two over okay one of the older ones passed away i'm sorry to hear that but uh 
you know, because I was the middle child, I believe I, I had more favor <laughs> than the younger or the older. Yeah. That's just my sweet spot. <laughs> yes, it was a sweet spot. Thank you for clarifying that. And so, so it, it was, you know, like I said, we loved each other. We never had a fight. We never had an argument. Mm-hmm. Never. That's incredible. That's maybe even a little uncommon for a group of boys. <laughs> well, go figure. We would, you know, have our, our issues. Sure. But we yeah. never had a fight. Never had a fight. Yeah. All. Well, when it comes to mom and dad, whenever you're now in Chicago and looking at that sort of that structure, um, are they having to have difficult conversations with you about making sure you're safe at school and sticking together in those environments? How did that that mentorship go from a parent's perspective? Well, from a parent's perspective, the only thing was, you know, we were raised just by our mother. Our father wasn't in the picture. Mm -hmm. And and because she had to struggle to work to make sure she feed five boys. Yeah, it's a big job. Five boys. And so the the safety in her mind, it was just make sure you stick together. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. My older brother, he 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 first learned martial arts Mm -hmm. and he taught it to us. So therefore, we all didn't have to go to Jordan. We Whatever he learned, he brought it home to us. Pass we on practice, the knowledge. practice, practice, day in and day out. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, I think one of the things, as I mentioned earlier, and as you've expressed always, is that every time we talk, another detail comes out. <laughs> I think whenever I was doing some work for the American Veterans Center, mm-hmm. and I had actually one of our first podcast uh, guests over, Josh Pinckney, mm-hmm. he was a former photographer in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in the lobby coming up to the apartment, you were like, Oh yeah, you know you were like right. I was a former Marine. I, Wait a second, <laughs> Phil, you you're in the Corps. So yes, I, going back and starting to maybe focus in on some of the the different occupations and jobs and experiences you've had. If we turn that clock back, what did that look like as you were in high school and then further? When did you start working and what did that first job well, look I, like? For my, you? The first job was delivering newspapers. Yeah, had a, a baby carriage. We would stack our newspapers in and deliver newspapers. Yeah. Uh, one uh, person on my, my, my router at the time was, uh, mm-hmm. he was a boxer, famous boxer, retired Frank Robinson. I believe his name was, if I remember correctly. Mm. And so those days, and even uh, being out there delivering papers as a young boy, you know, fearful of the gangs, you know, but, yeah. but they saw that you was working and you was no threat to them. So we never got attacked being mm-hmm. a newspaper boy. Yeah. And so from, from that, uh, my older brother was a shoeshine boy. Mm-hmm. And that's how he made his extra money. And from being in high school, I never had a job while I was in high school. When I got out of high school, I uh, worked at a, a factory making uh, uh, car parts. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, for any specific uh, manufacturer? Camshafts. Camshafts, okay. Yeah, we made camshafts, yes, for vehicles, yes. Yeah. And so whenever you, you look at your post-high school period of time, did you go immediately into further education with college, or did you start to focus on the workforce? How did that well, evolve uh, for you? didn't have the mindset to want to go to college, but I went to a community college, and mm-hmm. I took up computer programming. Mm-hmm. And I surprised myself. I was getting A's every day, learned how to program a robot mm-hmm. to stand up, walk, come back, sit down. You know, I was excellent in school. Yeah. But however, <laughs> as a young man, the uh, since you bringing this out of me, yeah. as a young man in college, out of high school, mm-hmm. oh boy, the women. Uh-oh. Yes, it, it took my focus off of school. Distractions say, galore, right? Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was unbelievable, overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I commend any 
young person who went to college from high school or even going to college, period, yeah. just the focal point of four years of being focused. <laughs> it, yeah, well, I mean, it, you look at college in many ways, it's a social a blooming atmosphere for so many people. It's the first time you're around, um, you know, a variety of different people. Yes, I, I know moving from Salem, Missouri and going, even, I stayed in state, I went to Columbia, Missouri, but it was still a big school. And I got to I got to interact and meet with people that I wouldn't I wouldn't have that opportunity in in my hometown. So it was like eye opening, um, and even exhausting at times because of how much you know sensory overload you got yeah. anywhere you looked. So um, with that with that degree in your sort of computer science and programming, did you find that that sort of informed your next step, or were you ready at a certain point to sort of shift gears and well, go in another it was, direction? It was. Uh... At that point, uh, I, I took a cab somewhere, mm-hmm. and the cab driver, I let him, I was, we had conversation, and I, uh, it came up that I was in school to be a computer programmer, and, and he let me know uh, that he went to school to be a computer programmer, but he dropped out because mm-hmm. the way the system was back then, I think it was DeVry was the ground working back then, yeah. and... Uh, uh, they still run a lot of ads. I yes, think and, University. and, and uh, the computer world was changing so fast mm-hmm. that you could register for a college course in whatever or go to a private school to learn like Fortran or COBOL mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And by the time you finish, something else come about. So you will always have to be in school yeah. learning because the system was constantly changing right. back then. Yeah. And so that deterred me of continuing my education on the realm and the, and the field that I was going to computer programming. Mm-hmm. So it, it changed my thinking. Well, I need to think of something other career versus computer programming. Yeah. And and when that happened, where did you start to focus your energies once you realized that maybe this is not as secure as you thought it was going to be? How did that how did that change your next steps? Well, it changed it, and, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Hmm. That was the big downfall in my life of not knowing where or what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go or end up. Didn't know. And so uh, I thought uh, the military would be a good fit in the military, you know, because I was always told I had a good radio voice. Mm-hmm. So instead you do. of going to school to pay the money to take the course and all this stuff, right. yada, 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 I said, let me go into the military for communications. Very nice. However, <laughs> you get there in military, I signed up to be Marine Marines and, and it wasn't what they said it would be. It was totally different. Yeah. So that that messed me up. I didn't get my MOS in the military was, uh, wow, I don't even remember. It was a radio communicator, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't to go on air, to talk, to do anything. It was carrying the radio. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's got to get to point B from point A somehow. So, you know, I'm out the military now, and I was in, you know, it was in like in 75. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Laying around trying to figure out my next move, mm-hmm. and and uh, as a young man, still uh, became stagnant 
and having a mindset to do something to go get a career. Right. Yeah. yeah. When when you were in that period of time, I, I I always envied people in college who seemed like they had it figured out. Mm. And in in my perception, oftentimes those were the those were the younger people who were involved in the nursing programs or maybe the pre medical programs. Because you look at those routes, if you ask yourself and give yourself an honest answer and say, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a nurse, academically speaking, you pretty much know the blueprint of what steps you need to take to get to point, whatever that is for you, the end point. Was there a dream job or a dream scenario that you had thought through in your mind as you yes, were growing it, it up? Yes, it did. Matter of fact, I, I registered for uh, another college mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a property manager. Okay. You know, uh, I dabble in real estate. I used to be a painter, mm-hmm. interior decorator. I started painting apartments, homes, houses mm-hmm. when I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so that stuck with me to be a property manager. It's to a good skill. Property. So I went to mm-hmm. school for that. As I was going to school, yeah, I was also a doorman. So I was working full time as a doorman and going to school full time. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work. Too much, just overload, it or was what was overload? It? Overload. I'm I'm falling asleep in class. I'm falling asleep at work. Yeah, and so, but persevered through that. And uh, you know, the thing about going to school back then, going to community college or any you know, private institution is is like nowadays. I think it's maybe 20 years ago they have these agencies to help you find a job in the field that you're coming out of school for. For sure. Yeah. Right. But back then, when I was in that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And so you had to fend for yourself. And, and, and resumes back then was like null and void. It's like you could fill out a resume and have it presented real good, but there's 500 more people with the same skill set, <laughs> right. same everything. And then that was a deterrent also. So yeah. it's like, wow, what do I do now? Yeah. And well, you make a good point because a lot of the people who are um, involved in the world of uh, development, coding, these kind of fields, they have what are now called like coding boot camps. So mm-hmm. instead of going to a four year institution or whatever, there are very intensive 8, 12, 16 week programs where these people will go and just hammer out the skills that they need to step into a workplace and begin to function at a fairly high level. And, I, and I've had a friend who did that, and it was mm-hmm. just a really short burst. And right out of it, he was on a campaign helping them with mm-hmm. web development and outreach and all these things that were mm-hmm. technically oriented to his skill set specifically. Mm-hmm. But it was a situation where that was a job placement that was a part of that package. Right. And, and uh, yeah. coming out of school sometimes, it's like, what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what am exactly. I going to do? And, and in my case, uh, my mom, she uh, instilled church in, in us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I listen, I listen, okay, in church. Yeah. Got to be, you know, I went to ministerial school. Mm-hmm. Was that after your time in the Marine Corps? Yeah, after, you started after that? the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, got to be an ordained minister, mm. uh, preaching, da-da-da. But, but at the same time, it was a tugging because I would stay in church for few years or so then I would leave yeah something would always pull me away because I you know what what really entered my mind was hearing from someone else let me pause and say that even though school college from my perspective 
I could have persevered and stayed no matter what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said here again, I commend anybody who, who stay and further their education. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. Yeah. Stay focused. Stay in school. It'll benefit you. Uh, so the ministry helped me eternally to become wise mm-hmm. beyond the norm. Right. And I find myself not having any friends because I was always to myself trying to focus and study on one thing. Yes. And that was the Bible, the word of God. Yes. That was my focus for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, living with my parent, my, my brothers, they would always find me in my room with my Bible. That's some dedication. Yes. For years, that's, that was my focus. So I learned how to focus. Yeah. On one thing, and and I here again, I commend people who can multitask. Great, but me, one thing at a time. Yeah. I focus, I focus, and I persevered that area. Yeah. And I focus, and I focus in the laboratory. I got my certification. I focus, so I, I learned how to focus on one thing instead of trying to take on a burden of this and mm-hmm. that. Trying to figure out, as I was focused on one thing. Other things came in my mind, mm-hmm. and as I was doing that, for some reason I learned how to write. I was write poems and songs, mm-hmm. and that was a big help. Yeah. So, How old were you when you got involved with your first sort of ministerial work? And, and it sounds like you spent like years like in that phase of your 22. life. 22. So pretty, yeah, oh man. Yeah, yeah, 22. And you were there for like how many years were you in that intense sort of study phase well, in, and in practice? The, I'll say 76. 1976, I got ordained in 1995. Mm -hmm. So those years of dedication. And were you in the Chicago area at that time? Chicago all the time, yes, yes, yes. And it was intense. Yeah. And and not going to clubs, not going to bars, not drinking, not smoking, not doing anything. Yeah. And people label you, you know, are you Mr. Goody Goody and all that stuff. (laughs) But I had brothers. We Right. We played, we did everything that everybody else does, but yeah, I was... You just weren't blowing a stack of cash at the no, local no. bar or something. However, <laughs> backsliding. Yeah. I wind up being a bouncer in the clubs, famous yeah. clubs in Chicago. I was a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. You heard of Mr. T? Yes, sir. I came along with him. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know him, yeah. So it's... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm laughing, but you don't see it. Yeah. Because, like I said, I've done so much. Yeah. Well, it, it's evident. It's yeah, evident. I've done so much, and and even that being a bouncer in the famous clubs in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, Copper Box, mm-hmm. famous club on the West Side, to to uh, uh, this famous DJ Tom Joyner, the Fly Jock, uh, he would come to in the club and put on little skits and and yeah bodyguarding him and it's just so much of different jobs and journeys that i was on as i was coming of age so yeah. to speak and trying yeah. to still in the back of my mind finding myself so. right no i think that it speaks to a continual self-discovery and a journey of self-discovery and i think if you, you a lot of people hear this story and they're they're looking at the trajectory or the career path you go from being ministerial and in this sort of uh, church-based space, and then you're you're juxtaposing that against you know being a bouncer or being security in a clubs. Yeah. Most people would put those two on opposite ends of the spectrum almost. But it's fascinating because you've gotten to have 
both perspectives. And that's informative yeah. in and of itself in a lot of ways. Well, yes, I'll say that. And, and just, just sitting here just thinking of the past, yeah. of, of the journeys of the different jobs mm-hmm. and having those different jobs and meeting different people. I've met so many different type of people. It's just unbelievable. Their journeys and mm-hmm. sharing with me. And, 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 and so for some reason, people marvel my journey. Mm-hmm. When I tell them what I used to do, what I used to do, or who I met in my life. I met so many uh, uh, movie stars and mm-hmm. millionaires that I was friends with. Uh, uh, the person that invented the formula that, that undercoats cars, uh, Mr. J. Turk, we were good friends. Uh, oh, I can just think of right now so many people I've met that, yeah. that befriended me because mm-hmm. of who I was and you know, I one thing I can say to myself, I was so open, you could tell me anything. Mm-hmm. I learned not to be judgmental. Yeah. Because it hurts for someone to judge you and say, Oh, you're this and you're that. That does. When you know you're not. Right. So You know I, your own I, truth, yeah. Yes. And 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 so just, you know, I know you want to segue this, 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 but yeah. But just to to pause in a sense and saying like now I know mm-hmm. those journeys. One should look at journeys and everything that happened to you in your life mm-hmm. as a lesson. Yeah, nothing negative is always a lesson, mm-hmm. and we have to look at everything we do mm-hmm. as a lesson. Yeah, as difficult as it may be in the moment, it's it's something that's going to help push and grow and foster your. And a lot of us are not teachable. Yeah. That's where we fall short. Hmm. That's just my opinion. Being open. Now I know to be teachable and yeah. everything is a lesson. Yes, sir. Learn from whatever situation you're in, mm-hmm. whatever somebody say. It's just like you and I. We never had an argument, right? We n- never had heated discussions. No. And so if that ever happens, it's like, I know John yeah. is something else that calls him right. to be out of character with me. So why should I get angry at John? Yeah. What's it going to do? Just amplify everything. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's a lesson. And to see, well, maybe John did this or somebody said something to John that calls him. Mm-hmm. And so look at that lesson. And so for me, it's like, Someone says something negative or something hap- anything negative happens, mm-hmm. it's a lesson. So I have to look beyond yeah, what is right. before me mm-hmm. to see what the lesson is. Yeah. And that's, that's something is hard, but you get used to it. Yeah, and it takes practice. But you're a sponge. I think you absorb everything. And yes. that's, I, I, gotta, I have to commend you because, you know, you've been um, incredibly open and always very positive with me. And I appreciate that a lot. Thank your you. your attitude is always grade A. It's just like um, I I appreciate that immensely, yeah. and I try and put that face forward as well. I mean, some stuff can be hitting the fan in the background, but I'm going to try my best not to let that. No, bleed so it into goes the other along situations. with John, if I must say, the wealth of self. Yes, it's like just the terminology. People automatically would think of monetary value, mm, financial. Yes, yeah, but it's not. It's like John is worth something to somebody, mm. but he's worth something to himself first. Yeah. And so John has to know his wealth of self. Yeah. That's the whole premise. That's the to idea. To know thyself. Yeah. When you know who you are, oh my goodness. Yeah. 
nobody, nobody could upset you. Nobody could deter you or turn you around when you know who you are mm-hmm. and the wealth of self. That's so powerful. Oh, I appreciate that. The title has resonance. It's working. It's yes, working. Because now John knows. <laughs> We're marrying the concepts. <laughs> this is awesome. It's awesome. I appreciate you so of much. Of course. Yes. Thank you, sir. You know, I tell everybody about you. You know, I bring people up. Yeah, yeah John, no, John, that's always been. <laughs> I, I've I've met I've met I gotta say just a, a lot of good people in the building simply by way of your introductions, and that's been um, that's been great. You know, because it's almost like an extension of yourself. Whenever you have somebody out there who's who's you know connecting you to other people, um, that's special. But, well, like I said, uh, uh, four time it's like. Believe it or not, we all are unique individuals. Mm-hmm. And the uniqueness of just even conversing with somebody not of the same mindset, it don't have to be that. No. It's just communication yeah. is lost. Yeah. In today's age, it seems like it's there are a lot of barriers to really get to Text me. Text yeah. me. I, I don't, when you text, when we communicate yeah. through texting. I know I text you occasionally. I, I don't <laughs> know. What's behind the text, what's in the text, the spirit in the text. Right. All I know is these words that has no continuity, no, yeah, yeah. you know, feelings. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, with the desk set up over there, I always try and do video calls with anyone and everyone, whether that's, you know, for business purposes or just, you know, face to face. When I talk to a family member, I'm always trying to do it through video calling because there's so much more to that communication and that conversation that comes out when you can see their face and exactly. look at their body and see their movements and all these things. You can things. feel them. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Very it's important. That's a big difference. But the day, the nowadays, it's, it's so quick. It's just like when the microwave came. Stick it in the microwave. Yeah. Now, text me. Yeah. Right. It's so impersonal to me. Yeah, it feels it's distant. just my opinion. Yeah. That's all. You know, but this is a new age. Yeah, it is technology. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, If you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support the Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. Phil, I wanted to... I wanted to evolve from your time in Chicago mm-hmm. into your life on the East Coast because okay. I know you still have some family back there. Mm-hmm. I, I you occasionally are going back and forth. Right, right. So it sounds like a you know pieces of your life are still there. Mm-hmm. But being on the East Coast, what did that shift look like for you? And was it was it uh, because of a, a job opportunity or just a desire internally to see a new place? How did well, that? Well, what actually happened was my older brother in the Air Force. In this east, east east coast side, and mm-hmm. and uh, Air, uh, Andrews Air Force Base, mm-hmm. Bowling, uh, he would 
asked me for years and years, you ought to come, you ought to come, you ought to come. And so mm-hmm. opportunity presented itself. And I, and I came in 2003 yeah. and lived with him. And, and he uh, wanted me to work as he worked in the area that he did mm-hmm. in the government, uh, which I cannot name. Sure. And so if you work here, mm-hmm. then I can pull strings to get you in there. Yep. Yep. And that didn't work out because of my military background mm. and I will share with you reason why I'm not a secret agent or a secret service mm-hmm. because I caused the government to change the way they do things when someone wants to come into the military. Mm-hmm. If you cannot shave and look neat, what happened with me is you have to shave every day, and I would bump up. Oh, yeah, razor burn, right? Right. right. Your ingrown hair would go back in your skin. For some people, that can up. be bad. Yes, it was terrible. Yeah. And so the sergeant at that time, they would make you shave over your bumps, and you would bleed. Oh, and, God. And so I got tired of that when I was in the military. You can so get I, a medical? Um, yes. Okay. okay. I went to the Navy doctors. They gave me a medical chit that I cannot shave. The Marine Corps tore it up. Oh, they made me shave, and I went back to the doctors and explained to them what happened. And still, the Marine Corps mm-hmm. didn't like the Navy. And so it was a contest confliction all the time. Yeah. And so I took it upon myself to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. You want me to shave? I'm not shaving. I stood my ground. Yeah. I was the only Marine person on the base of Camp Pendleton in California with a beard. <laughs> My buddies and I, we went walking on the base to another uh, area and we stumbled into the captain quarters pool table. And we thought it was just another recreation center, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a captain personal quarters. Oh, wow. We were playing pool and the captain, lieutenant and sergeants all came out and, and they saw me with a beard. Uh. They thought I was a civilian. They snuck on base. Oh, my God. But I had my identification. Sure. And they took me in the bathroom and shaved me. Really? I went through proper channels, and they did not want to hear what I had to say. They locked me up. Really? Yes, they did. He took one of my stripes, stripes and locked me up. All for uh, a little facial for a be- hair. The only person on the entire Marine Corps base with a beard. They wasn't going to have it. So I went, of course, I, like I said, I did the proper thing, proper yeah. channels, lawyers. Boom. They put me out of the Marine Corps mm-hmm. legitimately mm-hmm. and said, that they don't ever want me ever in any kind of government, the Air Force, Marines, the Navy, the oh Army. Oh, my gosh. Because of what I did to them, they had to change their code Yeah, because of me. It's on the record. Well, I, I had a, f- a family member who served, I believe he was Army, and had a similar scenario where mm-hmm. just the, the complete destruction of the skin as a result yes, of the ingrowns. Yes, yes had a medical waiver, essentially, exactly. where yes. it wasn't, you know, required right. uh, to shave. Mm-hmm. And now I guess I know who to thank for that. 
you know, it's, 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 it's amazing how, how when you look back over your life and see the things that you, you were a part of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I never shared that story only maybe three or four times in my life. Yeah. You know, that I was the cause of the Marine Corps changing their yeah. core values of someone. If you cannot shave, you cannot enter into the Marine Corps. Yeah. I don't know any place else, Army, Navy, but in the Marine Corps, you cannot go in yeah. if you have a shaving problem. They will not take you. Well, you look at all the frog men, and most of those guys are rocking beards. So <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like they don't care at the elite level. But yeah, I mean, that that had to be to have somebody pull you into a bathroom and force you to do something oh, yes. like that. That yes. was. Yes, it was terrible. But yeah. you know, that was then. Right. You know, that was a lesson. Yes, sir. And so you mentioned the East Coast. So. So being here and 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 in the DMV area, uh, still I had to go back into the laboratory field, mm-hmm. which I didn't want to. You know, I had to work. Yeah, and so that was the only area I could work in, according to my resume of what I passed did. Mm-hmm. You know how the system works. You know what it used to do, and so you have to apply to jobs. You know, you just can't say I want to be a, 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 a videographer if you have. Don't have any skills. That experience, Nobody's right. going to hire you. So right. your skill set gets you the jobs. And so yeah. I had that laboratory background, and I worked at one of the laboratories here in Virginia, Covance. Is that and close by, or where? It's where? in, it's in uh, uh, Vienna. Okay, so not not too far out. Yeah, right. and and that's where the Ebola virus was started. Really? And yes, and working in that lab for a little while, uh, I had to quit. Because of this true fact. <laughs> so you were in there at that period of time when Ebola started to I make its... had to sign some papers so I cannot disclose that sure. information. Okay. Seriously. And oh, wow. so uh, what happened was I was doing this experiment on these primates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the one who led the experiment of injecting the chip inside of the primates, the chips that now they use in animals and babies. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was part, and, I, and I, I'm working, not thinking of what I learned over the years, what the Bible says, that you would be barked in your hand, and, and so they went through my head. It's like, oh, my goodness, I'm a part of this. I'm the instrument. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you know, and so I, I got out of that program. You know, they let me out of the program. Yeah. And, and, and from that you know, I went uh, to another facility and work on these special primates, mm-hmm. which I can say without any detriment to my person. Uh, I quit because when I opened the door, I didn't quit that exact day. Yeah. But going into this other facility at, at, at this place. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. <laughs> the primates. Yeah. They look so human. It frightened me so that I will never work in a laboratory again. Oh, my God. They look, <laughs> hear me, they look so human, but yet they were primates. It's like, I'm looking at John, yeah. but you're a primate. That scared the bejesus out of me. That is freaky. I don't know that I should prod any deeper because I don't want to endanger anything. But that's, uh, I guess, you know, you look at some of these more secretive labs and some of the different research that goes on in those places. And that's the thing about it that I, you know, 
I won't say now I know I knew back then. Mm-hmm. It's like the world don't know. Yeah. Don't have a clue what scientists are doing and have been doing. I can say I know a little bit. Right. But I know so much and it's 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 frightening. Yeah. It's like why are all the animals in the laboratory white? Yeah. I know why. Yeah. Why nowadays you can get an animal without no fur on it, mm-hmm. be it rat, cat, dog. I know how and why I was part of the experiment. Yeah. It's, I know so much and I cannot say so much. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's, it's, it's frightening. I mean, you hope for those advances or whatever is going on, that it's for the benefit of human existence and, and global like yeah. ecology or whatever you want to call our biodiversity across the planet. But maybe there are instances where there are, there's a little more profit line on the pharmaceutical side of things or wherever that. Uh, I, I can say this, yeah. that uh, I was always in research and de- development mm-hmm. in the laboratories. And back then when I was doing it from, from the time you invent, like say Advil, sure. you know that this will do this for your system, mm-hmm. take away your headache or pain or whatever mm-hmm. from conception to the shelf, mm-hmm. it cost $300 million. That was back in the 90s. Oh, yeah, it's massive. But nowadays, there's no more research and development. It's like you invent something, okay, take it to market. And if you look at commercials, when they say anything about a medical product mm-hmm. or chemical, they say it may cause death. It may <laughs> cause <laughs> kidney damage. Yeah, it may right? cause, it may cause, because they did not research it. They may not know, right, the full extent. No, they don't. That's that's spooky. Because they don't have the money anymore. It, it, back then in the 90s, it cost $300 million of research and development for Advil or, or Bear Aspen to get on the shelf. Mm. Now they invent, they may test it a little bit, but it's on the shelf. And that's why they disclose it may cause death. It may cause liver damage. It may cause cancer. It may cause this, this, it may cause your eye to fall out. They don't know. Oh my gosh. Well, you think about those commercials whenever they read the list of symptoms or potential systems, and they've got to crank that up to about 400%, you know, speed in order to make sure they can read it all before the end of their ad yes. hits. So and it's uh, so small, you cannot see oh, it. Oh, it's the finest of print. Yes, but they're covering themselves. Yeah. They did disclose that it may cause your teeth to fall out. It may cause your nose to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> they told oh you. They gosh. warned you. Oh, that's spooky, man. Yeah, so. Well, if you're if you're in that space and then you're starting to, start to navigate away from it, what? How, how did you, I, I, there may have been some steps in between there and where you are now with Bizzuto mm. Properties and 1331, but how did that next phase of your life look? Well, it, it looked. Because uh, <laughs> when did you end your time with these, this, this as a laboratory research? Laboratory, uh, I'll say in 2007. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I stopped working at, uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Covance, and mm-hmm. then I went into the private sector of security. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked at uh, this national, the government that has the map of the whole world. Mm. We do. Yeah, we map the whole world. We yeah. have. We know the boundaries of every part of this world, not oh, the United yeah. States. We have the maps of every parcel of land in the world. Yeah. 
well, not we, but the government, the well, park that I worked at. That's an interesting point because these these drones that I'll fly occasionally, you can't fly a drone in D.C., mm-hmm. but uh, these are all manufactured in China by mm-hmm. a company called DJI, and mm-hmm. there, are other, there are other companies. Mm-hmm. But that flight data from those drones and the sensors and the high-resolution cameras that are on them, I mean, there are millions and millions of personal UAVs all over the world, and a lot of that flight information, elevations, um, you know, flight distance, uh, all of these things are, are stored. So mm-hmm. I've always been curious about that because, in essence, these small personal UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, have essentially mapped conceivably every square millimeter of Earth, maybe with exception of like Before Antarctica or something. The drones. Mm hmm that the public have use of now mm-hmm. the government had it years ago. Yeah. yeah of and course. <laughs> I'll give you an instant that I was involved in, mm-hmm. uh, in somewhere, Maryland <laughs> and, uh, Korean ambassadors, officials came to the facility because we mapped the whole world. Mm-hmm. It was dispute and boundaries and they knew that the United States had. Is this the northern portion of Korea? And or the southern? So, <laughs> and so uh, they tried to come on the government site mm-hmm. unannounced mm. with their security. And it got to the point that it was on the news and oh, wow. guns was drawn and things of that nature. But everything settled down. Mm. But the fact is that that the Korean government and the other entity almost started a war because they said that was their land. And they said, no, this is our land and mm-hmm. things like that. And they knew that the youth somehow the national geospatial where I worked at, had yeah. that information, that information, they map the whole world. They know what the exact end of DC into Maryland. They right. know exactly where China meets Russia, they know every to the ten thousandth place on the latitude oh, longitude boy. number. This yeah. government, this world. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's something that a lot of the public sphere doesn't really. I guess the, most people are not always concerning themselves with it. It's just not in their daily routine to freak out about something of that nature. But it is, you know, it's 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 the the constant work for decades and decades and decades behind the scenes of government employees trying to get that data. Allow me to share this. I'm I'm going back into the seventies. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> to show you how this I'm I'm not targeting the government, but this is a true story. <laughs> yeah. My brother's in the Air Force. Sure. He was doing special stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh <laughs> The home that my mom purchased had it built from the ground up. Yeah. Back in the 70s. They built it wrong. Is this back in Chicago at this in point? In Chicago. Okay. Yes. And she fought it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to take possession of the home because you built it, built it wrong. Mm-hmm. Contractors, da, 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 da. And so she called the mayor's office, complaining, 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 complaining. They knew who Mrs. Ethel Green was, mm-hmm. right? Blah, 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 complaining, complaining. And so a lawyer told her not to pay rent until this is settled. Mm -hmm. So we had thousands of dollars cash money in the house, right? Yeah. So what happened, my older brother, who, like I said, was in the military, visited from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. We were in Chicago. And back then there were no cell phones. Mm -hmm. 
And so he was making a phone call to one of his friends, and he heard a funny noise inside the phone. Little click, click. It was a bug. Uh, they bugged our house. Yeah. True story. Yeah. No, that's a real thing. I, I met recently with some friends, and uh, he at one point was applying for one of the three-letter agencies. And uh, at that at that period of time, there was some what he estimated was some phone monitoring of his private line. Um, I mean, just think about it. they came into yeah. our home when we wasn't there to put the bugs in the phone. Yeah, that's the scary part. Right. And the other scary part is he's where he was, I guess the East Coast, I could say, and we're in Chicago mm-hmm. and we're talking to our older brother. And he had mentioned that where he was, mm-hmm. he was in D.C. in the other part of D.C. Right. The other city of D.C. Yeah. And the phone went dead. Yeah. Well, I think now with all the the cell towers and everything, if if uh, you know they want to intercept one of those lines, it's it's possible. I mean, but see, before then, I mean, right. now they could, but just think, you, all the you, you, you know about that now. Yeah. But back then, had the landlines and all that. Yeah, took a little the, more manpower to get that done. Well, that's what you say. <laughs> Damn. Well, the thing is, all these cell phones, everything that we have, I mean, I've got the, the iPhone here, these computers, I've got a Google over there. Uh, it's all listening all the time. Otherwise, how would it ever hear you when you say, you know, whatever your keyword is in order to turn it on? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's pretty fascinating. I mean, it's spooky, but yes. at the same time, it shows you the the power of Big, big Brother, maybe. <laughs> so we, we, we're, we're laughing, but yeah, it is... It's scary and powerful at the same time that yeah. that they can do whatever they want and get right. away with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how we got on this subject, but no, uh, we're yeah, no, we're off yeah. on a tangent, but that's okay. But but d- being here in DC is is, is awesome in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't like DC. Mm. Only reason I don't like DC is is the 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 traffic. You cannot get in your car and easily drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, without any headache and parking is oh. don't exist well i mean they make all the signs so confusing that even if you think you're going to be in a safe spot oops you read it wrong or there's a sign 20 feet that way that contradicts the one that you just read exactly. so yeah that's Can't one of my biggest it. gripes about being here but i mean it, it seems like at this point in your life you've you've been able to reflect a lot and you know, the journey's not over. I think there's so oh, no. much more to do. I've only just begun. Yes, sir. For, for, like I said, the lessons, the lesson, this is another chapter mm-hmm. in my life. And, and so uh, how I got to Bazudo mm-hmm. is uh, being a doorman in Chicago, managing mm-hmm. high rises. And mm-hmm. I was a manager of uh, the Field Museum, part of O'Hare Airport, Union Station, all the big places in oh, Chicago. Wow. I yeah. was a matter of Channel 7 news station. I was the person you see. If you were a movie star and you had an appointment come, you got to get past me. Right. I was the man. And so here it's like uh, being uh, trying to get a doorman concierge job mm-hmm. because of my background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't. They said, we're not hiring for managers. We're not. I just want to be a doorman. No, sure. you, you know, you're going to like – maybe get your foot in the door and go someplace else, go someplace else. You know, it's like they think I'm going to quit, Yeah. you know, and go get more money in another place. So they don't want to take a chance. You know, all that nonsense. And so I learned the thing of being overqualified. (laughs) That's a thing. 
Yeah, and real so, thing. so uh, looking at Bazudo, all their things that they did, I said, oh, it's a good company. I'm, mm. I applied, rejected. Really? Six months later, applied again, rejected. So it took me five years to get to Bazudo. Wow. Wow. Well, they run a tight ship here. And I think that they're continually uh, expanding. From my understanding, Bazudo's got properties globally at this point. They are maybe, the number maybe. one management company in the United States. In the United States. Do you know if they have a global footprint at this point? Yes. Do they? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, I feel like... Um, you know, even even though I, I recognize that my time in this specific place in D.C. will come to an end, um, I, I really I cherish being able to connect with you. Uh, you because whenever you get into a new place, um, much like you said, just maintaining an open attitude because you never know what one connection can lead to or what mm-hmm. just one conversation in an elevator or in a lobby can, mm-hmm. can do for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you've continuously been, um, a very positive energy. And I think other people here feel that too. And you know, on, on that note to, to not to pat myself on the back, but it's just, just the truth of the matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the connectability and, and knowing people and the people knowing me and the mm-hmm. respect that they give me, uh, just a, a person in particular who who has a, a unit that he pays 22000 a month for. And Not he's even. a well-to-do person. <laughs> yeah. And befriended, it's like, wow, you, we're cool. Right. And so cool to the fact that when he goes out of town, I am the only one that's allowed to go into his unit, to let anybody in his unit. Mm-hmm. Don't let anybody in there but his mom or his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Nobody else but... Phil, his mom, or his fiance. Right. Management can't go in there. Yeah. Maintenance can't go in there. Just Phil Green. Hell yeah. And his family. So that type of respect is like, wow. And it's not just him. It's like three or four other people. Right. Says, only Phil Green is allowed. Mm -hmm. Phil Green gets my mail. Don't give it to nobody else. Things Mm -hmm. of that nature. That that made me, like, respect my job more. Yeah. You know. It's a sense of confidence too, you know, that you've built yeah. that rapport with that person or those group of people, and there's a level of, of trust. Yeah, and and, there. and management, like last year, it's it's still going on now. It just it just overwhelmed me to the degree that everybody calls me Mister Green. Yeah, you know, and I'm the only one that don't wear a name tag. Everybody else does, and yeah. nobody questions why, but everybody calls me Mister Green. Yes, sir. From the owners of the building. To the management, yeah, call me Mr. Green, and so I, I don't take that lightly, and 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 not boasting about anything. It's no, just, well, it's a, it's just, an earned just, respect. Exactly, exactly, and 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 like I tell people often, it's like trust. I don't. I will trust you. Just seeing you, I trust you, but you can take away that trust. Yeah, it can be chipped I away. I trust you automatically. Yeah, but after the fact, if something. Then, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You've set the bar. You better maintain it. Exactly. 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 But, but this, this journey is, it's an awesome journey. This Mm -hmm. period in my life and and I've learned so much. I've gained so much knowledge Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, I'm a stickler and, and saying as well as you, you said on your part, it's like on my part, it's like now I know and Mm -hmm. I continually can say, 
now I know this and now I know that and now I know and then there's there's a future coming yeah. and I can say, well, now I know. Yeah, and, and it's then, constant learning. You have yes. to maintain a sense of curiosity in order to stay on the edge of things and um, I sense that about you. I think you're always interacting with people, staying on the beat with what's going on and I think you have to to perform at a high level in your particular role. Yeah, and, so. and, and, and it goes to the, to the core of the wealth of self, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so, it's just so powerful how you formulated that, the wealth of self, that, mm-hmm. that says a lot, it means a lot, mm-hmm. and, and people should really look at themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking in the mirror is one thing, yeah. and it's just like, when in a conversation, you hear what that person is saying, mm-hmm. but are you listening? Yeah, right. That's a valid point. Well, when you think, uh, I, I like to ask this to everybody who's on, but when you think of what's made you wealthy, what, what would you say when you look in the mirror and you say, what has made Phil Green wealthy? Uh, it's, it's a duality of things. It's a duality. It's a duality. It's a duality. It's, it's the reason I say that word duality across the board. Mm-hmm. It's like there's always a up and a down, mm-hmm. an in and an out. Yes, sir. A black, a white. Yeah. A yes, a no. Mm-hmm. It's always a duality. And so I look at life as that it's a duality. Today is a good day. Tomorrow may not be. Who knows? Yeah. But I've learned mm-hmm. that now I know that I have to be the same person in public, in private, mm-hmm. in the mirror. I have to be me. Don't change at all. Mm-hmm. That's very wise words. Yeah. I think, you know, as we, as we talked about, when you start to skew away from what you know to be true in here, then that's where you start to have some internal conflict. Mm-hmm. And you have to start to ask yourself, you know, is this change safe? Is this worth it? Is this me? Yes, no, but that honesty, that's that self-reflection and that personal intrinsic self-honesty, that's so vital. So, the wealth of self. Phil, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. And I'm I'm hopeful that this message out there, you know, will will show people that uh, you, you are going to experience an abundance of things in life and you have to maintain an open attitude toward it. You know why? Because people need to realize that this is a universe of a university Mm -hmm. that we're in. Yeah. The world will teach you one way or another. So you're always in school. Yeah. In some way, shape or form. I think, I think about my dad and all the different jobs that he's had over the course of his life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it made him a well-rounded guy. And I think it's done the exact same thing for you. And I hope I can say the same about myself, having worked some weird jobs, (laughs) some fun jobs some boring jobs, everything in between. It's just, it's given me a good perspective on pretty much every strata. I mean, there are still places I haven't explored and things I haven't seen, but in the future, if it happens, when it comes to it, I'm willing to go along for the ride. There you go. See how it goes. Well, Phil, I appreciate your time. Appreciate you, John. I am excited for people to be able to tune in and see this one. And uh, 
it's, it's, it's out there for people to learn from and to hopefully glean some really profound knowledge from uh, just by being able to hear your story and, and parts of your journey. And I appreciate yeah, it. Just little bits and pieces they heard. <laughs> it's a, it's a long story, but that's, yeah. I mean, um, I hope it will inform anybody out there who's listening. So I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this time. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, if you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support the wealth of self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Thank you so much for your viewership. We'll see you on the next one.